Well, good afternoon again. Uh, we are here at the uh, end of our series in the Beatitudes. And as we've been reading, uh, we've got in Matthew chapter 5, uh, you might want a church Bible in front of you for this. There's some at the back in both Farsi and in English. Uh, the We've got to verses 10, 11, and 12. Let me just read those for you briefly. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, Angela mentioned there the the uh, charity Open Doors. Uh, Open Doors is a Christian charity who for many years has uh, ministered in countries where Christians are persecuted. Uh, and they also compile statistics on the persecution of Christians. Here's a few points from their most recent report. This is what they say. Never before have so many Christians been on the move. According to the United Nations, a record 60 million people have been displaced. A great number of these are Christians, especially in places like Syria, Iraq, and Nigeria, where anti-Christian violence has driven hundreds of thousands of Christians from their homes. Gender violence is a weapon of persecution, Women and girls are on the front line. Open Doors, is reco- open doors records show that worldwide there were well over 7,000 Christians who were killed for faith-related reasons in the reporting period. That's a rise of almost 3,000 in, in comparison to the previous period. And that is excluding places like North Korea, Syria and Iraq, where accurate records do not exist. Around 2,400 churches were attacked or damaged, which is over double the number in the previous year. In six countries, the level of persecution increased seriously. as in Eritrea, Pakistan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, Azerbaijan and Kuwait. In nine countries, the level of persecution increased significantly. They included India, Ethiopia, the UAE, Bangladesh, Bahrain, Yemen, Kenya, Indonesia, and Niger. Let's be honest, folks. Today, somewhere, a Christian will be dying for their faith. Today, many Christians will experience verbal and emotional persecution. And he's bearing that in mind that we come to this this last beatitude. These, These statements of Jesus talking about the character of Christians, talking about what we might expect as Christians. And some people read verses 10 and verse 11 as two separate Beatitudes. Uh, However, 10 is really repeated in in verses 11 and 12. And so uh, I'm going to follow sort of most commentators' view to say this is actually all one, one Beatitude here. 
And if you're taking notes today, I hope you are, if you're taking notes today, we're going to take some time to think about what we mean by persecution, the certainty of persecution, and the honour of persecution. So the nature of persecution, the certainty of persecution, and the honour of persecution. And overall, I really want us to to capture and get the sense of both the cost and the reward of the Christian life. The cost and the reward. Well, first of all, let's think about uh, the nature of persecution. Uh, First point to notice here is that this persecution is persecution based on the faith of the Christian. See, it says there, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, there are many kinds of persecutions in the world. Some people are persecuted because of their politics, their ethnicity, their uh, appearance. Uh, Sometimes people are persecuted because they're just quite an irritating person, to be honest with you. Uh, All that is never good. All that is is, uh, wrong and is sin and is bad, and we should certainly never approve it and certainly never perpetrate it. But that is not persecution because of our faith. That is not persecution because we are a Christian. As we're saying, this is a persecution in verse 10 because of righteousness or in verse 11 because of me, because of Jesus, as he's saying that. Uh, Christians are persecuted because they display the characteristics in the other Beatitudes. Christians are persecuted because they mourn over their sin, because they are they have purity in their heart, because they are meek, because they try to be peacemakers. And all that stuff offends the world. It offends the world because the world is not like that. And it's and it so offends people so much that they feel they should or they can persecute a word there, a good word there is revile the people of God. Number two, persecution appears in various ways, but it's going to be nasty. It's not going to be good. The persecution an individual Christian experiences, or indeed a local church, or sometimes even a national church in some countries experiences, is driven by the heart of the persecutors. The heart of the persecutors is raging. It is angry. I'm pretty sure it's our own Ian Jones who said that there are only two responses to the good news about Jesus. Either we're going to embrace it with thankfulness like someone who is drowning because it's it's the only way that we could be saved and we're going to embrace it that way or we're going to shake our fist at it. We're going to be angry and we're going to shake our fist at God. In our pride and in our arrogance we're going to say, no, I don't need you. I can save myself. I've got this sorted out. I don't believe you. And that anger is what fuels the persecution of of the church or or individual Christians. It's that second group of people venting their anger, venting their wrath, venting their sin on the first group. I want to suggest to you that the form and the severity it takes is determined by what that society thinks is acceptable. So yes, If you are a Christian in North Korea and also places like 
China and Saudi Arabia, or indeed Iran. This can mean imprisonment and torture and death. And it does. However, here in the West, we might find persecution as family or friends distancing themselves from us, perhaps. Perhaps they're not Christian and we are, and they're like, oh, well, yeah, okay, that's okay for you, but, you know, um, you sure? You sure this is right? Because it sounds a bit weird to me. Um, Perhaps being passed over for promotion at work. Oh, yeah, you're one of those happy, clappy Christian folks. Yeah, but you're not really suit our, our management style here. You know, we're just gonna, we're just gonna let you go over. Perhaps being ridiculed at work by your colleagues. Perhaps your colleagues know you are a Christian and like to do things to you that are pretty mean and nasty. Perhaps out and out insults from your school friend or your college, fellow college student. And even if you're in the West, perhaps it means assault and death if you're a French priest in Rouen. It's the same heart reaction. Whether it hurts us just spiritually and emotionally or maybe even physically as well, persecution is, is going to be hitting us and it's going to hurt us. In verse 11, in fact, it gives us some more details about what it might look like. It says when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kind of evil against you, so telling lies about us. Uh, so there is certainly, Jesus is certainly saying there is a very verbal um, uh, aspect to this persecution, that's for sure. And the third point, I think, when we're thinking about the nature, <coughs> excuse me, the nature of persecution is it is always against the church. Persecution, even when it is against an individual, is always against the church. It's, a, it's an expression of rage against Jesus. Regardless of, of whether or not it's physical or verbal, it attacks all of us when it happens. The Bible tells us several times we are the body of Christ. We together are the body of Christ. Each one of us has a part to play if we are a Christian in the church, in the body of Christ. So when, you know, if, if I pinch my arm, Yes, my arm is getting pinched, but the whole body is being is being attacked. It is the same for the church. Attack on one is an attack on all. Remember that Christ is the head of that body. The Bible tells us Christ is the head of the body. And so indeed, and it is not only an attack on all, but it is also definitely an attack on Christ. And we can actually see this in the New Testament. Just keep your finger there in Matthew and flick over to uh, Acts chapter 9. Uh, in Acts chapter 9. Uh, and we're going to read from verse 4. Uh, you might remember that Saul has been persecuting the church. Yeah, he's been persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem. If you read earlier on in Acts, he's been dragging them off to prison. Uh, he was there when Stephen was stoned and he was giving his approval. And so what does he do? He gets from the chief priest permission to go to Damascus to do some more persecuting of the church. But Jesus intervenes. Let's read from, from verse 1. 
Uh, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Okay, so the verbal thing, murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light appeared from heaven. Excuse me, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You can read the rest of the story there. Uh, Notice that Saul has been locking up individual Christians. He's been attacking the church, and he's been locking up individual Christians. What does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting all of my disciples who are following me? He's saying, you are persecuting me. So I think that when we, when we are looking at persecution and we're thinking about the persecution of Christians, we can think about it two ways. Yes, there is an, there is a individual human being persecuting another individual human being. Uh, but also, so that's a horizontal thing going on. There's also a vertical thing going on, where the people persecuting Christians are attacking Jesus, are attacking the church. So that's a little bit about, I think, the nature of persecution, what it is, what we're talking about, what we're running there. Let's talk about the certainty of persecution. As we're thinking about the other Beatitudes, we've learned that they are characteristics of Christians. These are things that the... the, Flick back over to Matthew if you're not there. uh, Matthew chapter 5. These are, uh, whether you're talking about meekness, whether you're talking about purity of heart, whether you're talking about mourning over, over sin, whether you're being peacemakers, these are things that Christians will display. That they will display increasingly as they walk more with Jesus. Uh, some more, some less. And notice that persecution appears in the same same list. Blessed are those, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This implies, I think, that this is going to happen, that it is certain. And I think the the... As we've been studying, I'm just so thankful for, for preachers like Rob and Jai and Graham and, and Rich who have brought this out for us over the past few weeks. Um, what I've become to appreciate more and more is that there is a definite order to these Beatitudes. That first of all, a Christian starts off being poor in spirit, recognizing our brokenness, then mourning over sin, you know, realizing that we're offending an angry God and that that is a really, really bad thing to do, and that we should, in actual fact, uh, in fact, turn to him in, in meekness and say, Lord, we cannot, I cannot save myself. I realize I am offending you. Please, please save me. Uh, and, God, and God then is, 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 uh, recognizes that. He gives us a hunger and a thirst for that righteousness. 
Uh, and he, he shows us mercy. We start to become his peacemakers. And as we're peacemakers then, and we're interacting more and more with the world around us, comes the, comes the persecution. Uh, all these things are not how the world operates. Uh, you know, the world does not value brokenness and being poor in spirit. It does not value mourning. It does not value meekness. It does not value hunger and thirsting for righteousness. It is, does not value mercy. It is totally the other way around. And that is why the world hates Christians. That is why the world persecutes us. So the first point here is that, folks, if you are a Christian, we, one way or another, one description or another, somehow or another, we are going to be persecuted for what we believe, for the gospel, for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of our faith in Jesus, as it says, verse 11. And that shouldn't surprise us. That shouldn't surprise us because, and it just... Uh, here, under, under our second point under the certainty of, of persecution, is Jesus himself, our model, the very model for our lives. If you're a Christian, Jesus himself was persecuted. He was persecuted right from the start. When he was born, people were trying to kill him. Uh, he had to flee to Egypt. His family thought when he started to preach he was going off the rails. Well, it looks like some of them came to faith. People mocked him. Friends betrayed him. Jesus was tried unjustly. The religious authorities were jealous of him. They wanted to shut him up. In the end, they arrested him and they killed him. He was insulted. He was spat upon. He was whipped. He was tortured. He was ultimately crucified for our sins. Let's read again that passage that Joan read for us from the Bible. That's John chapter 15. Just flick over. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 18. This is Jesus himself talking. And, you know, it's the kind of passage in the Bible we sometimes, oh yeah, and flick over, you know, da, 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 da. Uh, you know, I've just done okay, the vine and the branch is okay, and we're moving into, into the work of the Holy Spirit, and we, you know, skip over this bit. Let's listen to what Jesus says again. If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. That's what we're saying, eh? You, yeah, you can either, you're either going to be of the world and you're going to be loved by the world, or you're not going to be of the world and hated by the world. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. So they do not know God the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they could not be guilty of sin. Now, however... They have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. I can read it goes on. Um, Christians are persecuted because they follow Jesus, because we're becoming more and more like him as we mature. As we become more and more mature, we are more and more likely to be persecuted. 
the world, when I say the world, I mean the, everybody who is not a Christian, is just Christian, the world, that's it. Um, the world does not know Jesus and so wants to persecute him. The same is true for Christians. Uh, as an aside, notice there in, uh, just flip back over to Matthew for me, sorry, just jump there. Back in Matthew chapter 5, notice that it says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. In verse 11 then it says, Blessed are you when people insult you because of me. It's alright, everyone's okay. Um, so, so, just as an aside here folks, notice that this is two ways of saying the same things. Righteousness is Jesus, Jesus is righteousness. We're talking about the same thing there. But what happens if a church is not being persecuted? What happens if, as an individual Christian, we are, we have never experienced persecution? And again, to be clear, that comes in many different ways. You might not even recognize the persecution, you know, because someone is just like, "Mm, yeah, whatever. You know, you might, you might not, you might be missing that fact because you're perhaps a little, Thick skin sometimes like myself or, or perhaps you're just being very gracious and generous to them. Uh, but what happens then? Well, it might be that a church is not being persecuted because the society around it thinks it's wonderful. Everyone thinks they're a very pleasant crowd of people. Uh, they're doing lots of good social things and they never challenge us about anything at all. Uh, R. Kent Hughes had a, had a great, uh, a great section on this when, when, when I was reading his commentary. He suggests that there's, there's two possibilities. One possibility is that, two possibilities why a church is not being persecuted. One possibility is, it's gone to the point where the church has become totally inward-looking and totally insular. Uh, there are only Christians in the church. There's nobody who's seeking or thinking about Christianity. Uh, the things that the church do are only for other Christians. They're events that are only likely to be ever attractive to another Christians. Uh, they're put on deliberately for other Christians. They don't really like folks who aren't other Christians coming in. They feel a bit awkward. Um, and they maybe don't really often think about people who aren't Christians too much. On the other hand, on the other end, uh, a church might find itself so plugged into the world that it has become the world. It can be so plugged into the world that it has compromised what it's standing for. It's compromised its faith. It's compromised the righteousness of Jesus. Uh, such a church has become so engaged with, with the, so, has become so concerned with engaging with the culture of the world, with uh, not offending everyone, being accessible to everybody, that they've just become watered down. And the gospel has just become meaning very little, or nothing, actually. When you look at the church and you look at the world, you can see no difference. 
The Christians who make up the church are not living lives in any way different to the people around them. Just the same. Those are two extremes of a, of a spectrum. Uh, we're supposed to be in the middle of that somewhere. So we are supposed to be in the world, but we're not supposed to be the same as the world. As a church, Christians are supposed to be connected to the world, into the lives of non-Christians around us, but not living lives that look like it. They should look at us when you're talking about, whether you're talking about individual or whether you're talking about a church as a whole. When they look at us, they should see something different. This is one of, I'm now going to share with you one of my favorite ever illustrations. Please treat it with the respect it deserves on that basis. So, imagine a boat. Okay? Picture a boat in front of yourself. And the Christian or the church, whichever way you're thinking about it, Think about it both ways, is the boat. And the world is a sea, or a lake if you wish to be uh, creative, or perhaps even a river, um, which the boat is going to sail on. Uh, now, I think you would agree that the boat is designed to be in the water. Yeah, that's what it's been designed for. It's built, it's a boat, it's not a brick. A brick is not designed to be in the water. Well, okay, it might be designed to be in the water, but it's not designed to float in the water. Okay, a, a boat is designed to float in the water. Yeah? If you ever go to one of those shipyards and you see all the boats out of the water on the side, it always seems a bit sad to me. It's kind of like, oh, okay, the boat is supposed to be in the water and it's supposed to be going back and forth. Uh, that's what the boat has been designed for, to be in the water and to sail. Uh, we're not surprised to see the boat on the water. Nobody is surprised to see a boat on the water. And everybody thinks it's pretty good that it's there. It's fulfilling its purpose. So it's good. If that is the, if that, so if the world is the sea and the church is the boat, it is good when the church or an individual Christian is engaged with the world because it's doing one of the things it's there for. We're doing as individuals one of the things we're there for. But the boat is supposed to be in the water. The water is not supposed to be in the boat. Okay? If the water starts to get into the boat, what happens? The boat sinks. When the world starts to get into the church, when the world starts to get into the Christian's life, then things start going pretty wrong. When the point when the water overfills the boat, it stops becoming a boat and it becomes a wreck. Same is true for us, the same is true for the church. If we get overwhelmed by the world, we are no longer what we should be. If we're going to suffer, I would rather suffer for the sake of faith than for nicking cars or something. If I'm going to be persecuted, I want to be persecuted for something that matters. Not only to be doing it for something that is, I just have to endure. So, having thought then about the nature of persecution and the certainty of persecution, it would be easy at this point to feel pretty depressed and pretty down. Going to be persecuted. That's bad. Uh, and if that's what all we were talking about, then yeah, you might think the Christian life is quite grim. But... As is so often the case with Jesus, that is not the end of the story. That is not the end of what Jesus has for us. Look back there in verse 12. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And those prophets are people who obviously had received great reward in heaven. Jesus is saying, not just any reward, not just any old reward, you are going to be receiving, because of your persecution, you are going to be receiving a great reward in heaven. And that's what awaits us when we experience persecution. Now let's be clear. Let's be clear. No one's going out of their way to suffer. We're not saying we're, we're masochists here. We're not saying, ooh, ooh, let me go out and be persecuted. Persecute me, I'm a Christian. We're not saying anything like that. But what he is saying is that when persecution comes, when suffering comes, when struggle comes, rejoice and be glad. Yes, we're going to try and avoid persecution. Let's be honest, some of you have left countries and careers and family and friends behind to escape from persecution. I think that was a good decision. But, even though you have done that, I want to uh, put before you what Jesus has here. What should our reaction be when we are being persecuted? Our reaction is to rejoice and be glad. Not necessarily publicly. It's not that, it's not that you know, Somebody punches you and you go, yay, thanks very much. Uh, but certainly privately, we're going to express that joy. Does that sound weird to you? Does that sound like a weird, weird trade-off that we are persecuted and then we, we rejoice and we are glad? It does to me at first. But then we remember why we're being persecuted. Okay. The reason why I'm, with the reason why I'm being persecuted is because of my faith in Jesus. That means that all my sin has been taken with him on the cross. He has extended to me the mercy and grace of heaven. He has counted me one of his children. He has adopted me. He has given me the Holy Spirit. He has given me spiritual gifts. He has poured all that stuff on me. And if I'm going to be persecuted for that, fine. That's great because all that stuff is worth a million tons of persecution. I don't care. I've got Jesus. I've got the righteousness. And if I'm persecuted for that, fine. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to rejoice because I know what I've got. And I know the reason why I'm persecuted is because of what I have. And so we say to ourselves, you know, in that situation, think about it another way, in that situation, you've had an impact on that person. You've, if you're being persecuted because of your faith, you've done something to demonstrate your faith to that person. You have had an impact. It is better that than nobody persecuting you at all. Uh, I'm going to work in the Bible here. Let's look over to Acts chapter 5 for an example of this. This is a great example of this. Uh, Acts chapter 5. Uh, And down in uh, well, you can read the whole story for yourself. Let's just let's just look down in, in verse forty one. Um, so so basically, the apostles have been persecuted. They have been uh, they have been uh, arrested. They've been locked up for a bit. They've been tried 
unjustly, basically before the people who tried Jesus. Uh, and they've been uh, whipped and let go. What do the apostles do? Here we go, verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. That's the religious rulers. Excuse me. What were they doing? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Name with a capital N, that means Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They rejoiced, they were glad, not because they'd been whipped for that reason, but because they had been worthy. So when people are persecuting you or the church, remember that that persecution can only take place because we have been counted worthy by Jesus. Rejoicing like that just seems so countercultural. It seems so, so weird, but we can do it because a Christian has the Holy Spirit inside them. And joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Uh, okay, back to Matthew. I think that's the last time we're going to make you jump around. Matthew, Matthew 5. Um, last thing I think I really want to point out to you in terms of this rejoicing here is that in verse 10, at the end of verse 10, it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the same phrase as in verse 3. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is, for those of you who have better English than I have, is a present tense. Okay? It is not something for the future. Okay? So when we are persecuted, when we are, when we are following these beatitudes, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Present tense. The future now. The future has arrived now. It has arrived here and now. This is an experience. This is an invitation to experience and possess these blessings now. Why now? Because we are already in Jesus. We already have this faith. That's why we experience it now. And if we're experiencing it now, that's the reason for our rejoicing and for our joy and for what we do. That is why we can rejoice, because we already know what Jesus has done for us. So, let me give you a couple of ideas for application. Uh, Again, things you might want to jot down. Uh, number one, be, if you are a Christian, be prepared to be persecuted. Perhaps not physically, but emotionally and spiritually, you are likely to be persecuted. Pray about that. Pray for strength. Pray for wisdom on those trials, how you're going to uh, respond. Uh, learn to soak up as much Bible teaching as you can. So it's buried deep inside you. That way, when persecution comes, the first thing on our minds is not going to be poor me. But it's going to be things like the example of the apostles. It's going to go, oh, yeah, just like Peter. There you go. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourselves for what's going to come. Uh, be prepared to stand for Jesus. Learn what the good news about Jesus is. I think every Sunday, without exception, I've heard what we call the good news about Jesus. Another word for that is the gospel preached from the pulpit here. Great. That is really good because we need to know it. We need to preach it to ourselves every day, sometimes several times every day. Why? Because we're rubbish and we forget it. Okay? We need to preach the gospel, this good news about Jesus, 
to ourselves. And we need to understand it's the very core of the Christian faith. Know who God is and what he is like. Know that God is good, that God is holy, that he is a creator, that he is perfect, that he is love and he is mercy and he is justice. Know the same about Jesus and that Jesus came as someone who was both fully man and fully God, that he came into the world to pay for the sins of his followers and he did that when he was crucified and died and rose again three days later. Understand who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the third part of God who's been sent to live inside Christians and then uh, helps us interpret the Bible, comforts us, provides guidance to us. Understand the nature of my own sin and your own sin and rebellion against God. Understand how bad that is. Understand how angry it makes God. Understand there is no way we can save ourselves. Understand that it is only by faith in Jesus and repentance from our sin that we are saved, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Teach that to others and teach it to yourself. Never, ever assume the gospel. Someone once said that one generation knows the gospel, the next generation assumes the gospel, and then the next generation loses the gospel. And you can look at a thousand churches around here that have done just that. Know the gospel, plant it in your heart, teach it to yourself, teach it to each other, and never, ever stop. Be prepared, whatever the circumstances, to say, yes, with great humility, what you believe in. To say, this is what I believe. Jesus himself said that if you are not prepared to... Let me read you the verse. Don't turn there, you don't have to turn it. This is in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Jesus himself said this about us. This is chapter 10, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And that is something that you do not want to happen. Learn the gospel. Teach it to each other. Plant the whole church on it. Number three, lean on the word of God. Lean on prayer. Lean on their spiritual disciplines. Dive into the Bible. Let it refresh and encourage you. Know where the different passages are about persecution and suffering so that you can turn to them when you need them, so that they can build you up and sustain you. Fourth application, maybe you are here and you are not a Christian. And this talk of persecution just seems crazy and upside down. I want to plead with you to see that this persecution only shows the stark difference between the Christians and non-Christians in the world. There is a fine line. You're, in what, you're, in, you're either Christian or you're not Christian. That's it. There's no, there's no grey area in the middle. And as we were talking about a moment ago, the good news about Jesus, what we sometimes call the gospel, let that truth sink into your lives. Let that become the truth of your life. Trust in Jesus today. Turn away from your sins. Embrace him as your saviour. Yes, you can see here, it is not an easy life. Never let anyone tell you that being Christian is a dead easy, oh, skipping through a field of daisies, it's a lovely life being Christian. It is not 
like that. It is painful and difficult, but it is worth it. The cost is infinitely worth what we get. We get these beatitudes, we get these blessings, we get an eternal life that is ours forever. We get the ability to rejoice and be joyful, even in the most difficult of circumstances. If you are not a Christian here today, please, I beg you and I I implore you, if I could, I would lock the doors and keep you here till five o'clock in the morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to. Don't leave until you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. Do not leave until you have placed your trust in him and turned away from your sins. Yes, there is a cost, but there is a fantastic reward. Well, I'm just going to take a couple of moments just to sum up the Beatitudes. I'm conscious that we're at an end of uh, our little series here. Next week, uh, Graham is going to start us out with the next part of Matthew as we run up towards Christmas. Uh, but uh, let me just take a moment and just roll back. You've heard some of this before, but I just want to make sure you got it nailed down about the Beatitudes. Um, as we've said, that this is... Notice there in verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Notice verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of... Sorry, excuse me. Verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are like bookends. These are like bookends on this piece of teaching. We've got this piece of teaching here that we've called the Beatitudes. And uh, they've got a similar kind of structure. They've got a similar thing. Jesus said, blessed. He then then says, who's blessed? And he says, why they're blessed? Uh, And that they have ownership or they have various um, characteristics that they will be known by. As we said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Remember, this is not a list of things to try and get or to try and be like. This is not a set of things to be achieved. That would be impossible. Instead, these are things which are characteristics that a Christian is going to show increasingly as we mature, as we become more like Christ. But we don't want to be aware of them. We don't want to cultivate them. We don't want to try and and, uh, encourage them in each other and in ourselves. Um, But the important point here is that these, these don't save us. They don't earn us approval from God. This is what happens out as a natural response, as a natural outflowing of having God in our life. We do not earn these blessings in any way. We receive them by grace. Also, they're a direct opposite of what our world teaches us today. Uh, As we said, this shouldn't surprise us, and it just confirms how the world views these characteristics of no value and that they should, in fact, be ridiculed. We've also seen how these, these statements lead to a state of blessedness, a deep down joy, happiness, and satisfaction, not that burst of bubbly emotional response when we see our loved ones sometimes. This is a deep down change in personality. This is something that is bedrock, the solid rock on which we stand. And the blessing is in this life and it is in our life in heaven. So it is something that goes from now 
for all eternity, this blessing is. And there's a set of rewards we can see there that we will be filled with our hunger and our thirst for righteousness, that we will inherit the earth, that we will see God, that we will be called the sons of God. A full set of rewards for the blessed who are the Christians. But then you say to me, hold on a minute, Ian, uh, verses 11 and 12 are outside of that bookend. Why are verses 11 and 12 sitting outside the bookend when, and you're still talking about it, and it's still, Jesus seems to be teaching about the same thing. It's like a postscript. Now, I know I do this, and I'm about to do it again. Uh, many, pre- many preachers do this. They get to the end, and they go, and just one last point, and that's usually they're good for another 10 minutes. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you another 10 minutes. This seems to be Jesus' postscript. This is him saying, yeah, these are the Beatitudes, these are things you're blessed in. Uh, but hey, don't forget, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted as you go through. Notice also he swapped from the blessed are you form- formula to something far more direct and personal. So previously he was saying, blessed are those, blessed are they, blessed are those. Now he said, blessed are you. Blessed are you, the individual. Blessed are you. This is more intimate now. We've, we've heard the big stuff, we've heard the theology, and now he's saying, blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you, because of me. He's just reducing that relationship now to us and him. It looks like he's really just trying to encourage us there and really trying to lift us up to say in those times, in those times when they come, when they're persecuted, when you're being persecuted, know that it is because of me and I love you. You are mine. Rejoice and be glad. So, Christian, today, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that within it you have given us everything we need to know. You have given us uh, uh, everything that you want to communicate to us, Lord. Will you give us a hunger and thirst for it? Will you help us to, through your Holy Spirit, to understand what you want to say to us, Lord? Will you help to apply it into our lives? And Lord, will you help us today and every day, if we are a Christian to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Not because of what we might be going through at the time, but because of our reward, which is in heaven, which is firm, which as Rich was preaching to us, cannot be eroded, cannot be removed. Our reward is firm in heaven. We can have great hope and great confidence in that and help us to rejoice in that as we work through the trials and tribulations of this life. Amen.